Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 80, best and worst movie plot twists of all time. Uh, Josh, how are you doing this week? I'm chilling like a villain, my dude. Um, I've been working that uh, grind of trying to get uh, hired. <laughs> so so uh, it's it's been an interesting uh, week, to say the least. There's people hiring right now? I know, right? That's been the fun part. Uh, oh, the quick little adventure from last night. Um, I got hired for a, like a newspaper job, like to deliver newspapers, which is, you know, doing a newspaper route at 27 is kind of sad, but I'll tell you, know, at, at this point, I'll take it anything, take anything because like the Indeed ad said you could make anywhere between 700 to 1500 a week. And I was like, okay, I see you. Let's go. So you're newsy. Yeah. So I get there. And the guy offer is like, so we offer a pretty good uh, rate of six of 19 cents per paper. Um, and I was like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, you get paid per paper that you deliver. I was like nine. So my dad didn't did math, some math and like to make the 1500 in a week, I'd have to deliver over 7,000 papers. And I was just like, ah. I'm good. Like I want the I I want to work, but uh I don't want to work that bad. Jeez. Yeah, so but I got some interviews set up for the next couple of days, so I should have something I, here soon. Are, I hope they're not face to face interviews. I mean they might be, but I mean we'll see. I'm gonna bring my mask just in case. Yes, my mother made me a mask. It's kind of cool. But we've been using a, a detachable sleeve from an old baseball jersey. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> yeah. One of those like breakaway sleeves, but Hey, it works out perfectly. Yeah. Now is the time that I'm actually really nervous about. Um, just because it's that like, are we on the tail end of this? Because if we're not and people start going out, it's going to make things worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I got in a huge argument with somebody on Facebook, which you know, is not as actually not really like me at all today. So I was, sometimes you stir yeah. the pot though. Okay. Yeah. I might've, uh, <laughs> I might've done that and then tried to have a conversation with him and just, yeah. Anyway, um, that's a whole nother conversation that's not going to happen on air. So <laughs> you've been watching anything good lately, bro. You finally watched what we do in the shadows. First of all, <laughs> I finally watched what do we do in the shadows. I finally watched 1917. Um, both are incredible. What we do in the shadows was far funnier than I, than I anticipated. I told um, you, dude, a lot of it's just be like, you, you were getting about the dry humor, but the, sometimes with dry humor, the delivery is not like exactly what it needs to be. But this is like, it's so perfect. I can't even, I can't even ex express how much fun I had with what we do in the shadows. I think the thing is with dry humor, it is you have to let the joke breathe for a little bit. And a lot of times people will tell the joke with dry humor and then immediately try and go to the next joke. Whereas what yes. we do in the shadows lets that awkwardness stew for a little bit. And it's in mm -hmm. that awkwardness that the humor lies. Oh, absolutely. And just like some of the phrases that they say consistently, like, um, like, and then there was Philip, uh, or no, Peter, and then there was Peter. 
and that, that was Peter. Like they like say it like big, three or dark, four times, scary right? story, and then and he was my friend. <laughs> it's or, the best. I think what will become your new favorite line: "Werewolves, not swearwolves." Yes, I I legit like I don't usually have to pause a movie to laugh. But I had I just sat there laughing my head off on the couch with my headphones on, and my dad's just like, "Hey, Josh, I'm trying to do work. What's so What's so funny?" And I just looked at him like between breaths, and he's like, "Werewolves, not swearwolves." <laughs> the first time I saw this movie, I had the same reaction, but not for that scene. What we do in the shadows is the only movie that I have paused from laughing too hard. Uh, when Alex and I saw it in college, we almost cry. I think we did cry laughing so hard from the scene. Where, um, what's his face? The guy that they adopt into the clan. He's running away, yeah. and Jermaine Clement's character turns into a cat, but he doesn't do it all the way. Yes. And he's got a human head on a tiny little cat body still. Oh. And the compositing oh, is like purposely bad, and he's just yes. like. Oh. The one that gets me too is like literally like maybe five, six seconds a full a minute later, uh when one of them comes out of the backpack. <laughs> it, that that's still to me that I don't know if that makes me laugh so much, it's more of just going, how did they do that? Because that's like really practically done. It is. It was it's a very and that's like the thing too, is it is a mock talk, but it's like it's very well done. I the scene that made me laugh from the trailer that was just like, okay, I got to see this movie, and it still holds up in the movie is when Stu is teaching them stuff, and so he yes. teaches them like karate, and he just floats in the air. Yes, and he's like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Stu is easily my favorite character. Let me do my dark bidding. What are you bidding on? <laughs> A nice new chair. <laughs> so yeah, what do you oh, think man. of nineteen seventeen? blown away um like my dad and i just again reaction was just sit there in awe partially because of how it ends um because there's not really any one of the things i did appreciate about it was it it didn't end on a note where it was like oh well all was resolved yippee yippee ah woo it was just like so that happened i don't know and, about you but uh the first time i saw it the feeling that I got was breathe. You can breathe now. Yes. Because I didn't even notice, but I was holding my breath for the last yes. half an hour. Um, oh, I, I, the thing, of, and this is totally just the film nerd part of me, the camera almost never pans up or down, which blows me away. It like stays at shoulder level. It doesn't like... Do more details than what our characters are seeing. So, can't just be me. Did you just like feel a rush of, I want to be in this scene with him when he climbs over no man's land and starts running across an open battlefield and the music swells of just like, dude, oh my gosh. So the thing I also got from that, the again, film nerd part of me was like, was blown away was that the camera doesn't stop moving. Like nope. the, that part, he, he like trips and falls. And I'm like, okay, we're going to stop. Oh no, no, no. Like it doesn't matter. Like, and it gave you this really, this scope that of a war film. I don't think I had gotten before. So I, I appreciate it. There's just so much. I, we could go in depth and talk about the, uh, about 1917, but 
it's one of the few over the years that has, has really, really does deserve the accolades that it, it that it had, you know, that it won. I w- I don't think it'll ever go down as one of my favorite movies I've ever seen, but it'll go down as one of the best movies I've ever seen. Yes, in terms I mean, of technical it, achievement, it is a masterpiece. It really absolutely. is. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. I also I also saw the Call of the Wild. With, oh, with Harrison Ford and the weird dog? Yes. So here's the thing, and this was a conversation I had with my brothers, was they kept complaining about the animation of the dog. And honestly, it's really not that bad. They're like, and should, if you're going to animate the dog, at least make it more realistic, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, did you guys see Lion King? No. Because like, there's such a thing as way too animated. I'm sorry, way too realistic. Um, the dog yeah. is not... The dog is not as bad as I think some people thought it was because I, in my mind, that's the thing from the trailers that I've seen. Some shots look really good, and then some shots don't. Yes, there it's the pacing is weird because they definitely changed some things from the book, uh, and Harrison Ford is not as a, around as much as I would have liked, but yeah, it's it's fine. It, it, it gets the job done. <laughs> Interesting. Um, um, believe it or I not. Guess- I had not seen the Tim Curry movie Clue yet. I mean, it's okay. Neither have I. Oh my gosh, dude. I uh, saw it either a night or two ago. And I'm genuinely mad at myself that I have not seen this sooner. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a feeling that I would, that would be my reaction as well. So it is like some of the fastest and most clever dial I've seen of it. So quick-witted it felt very much like i could see where psych got a lot of its inspiration from Mm -hmm. of it's a lot of dumb humor but at the same time really really good humor uh there was quite a few moments that i just burst out laughing with some quick one-liners and again you can never go wrong with tim curry absolutely um lastly we went back and re-watched um the entire Dark Knight trilogy, because Heather and I were reading through the long Halloween so she could mm-hmm. get that full story. And I was like, man, I forget how much of the long Halloween is in the Dark Knight. So we went back mm-hmm. and watched the original trill the original Christopher Nolan trilogy, uh, because Voodoo has it in 4K. Some of the transfers pretty good, others eh. Um I think now we've gotten to the point that I would say Batman Begins is an underrated movie. Mm-hmm. Because everyone always talks about the Dark Knight, but I don't want us to sleep on how amazing Batman Begins is. Oh, completely. And it it does a beautiful job of setting up the world and without banging things over your head. Like, it's a Batman movie, guys. We're here again. In terms of being a Batman movie, it's probably the best of the trilogy in terms of Batman mythology. Absolutely. And also, I don't um, like Dark Knight Rises as much as I did a few years ago. <laughs> like I'll never Don't hate know. it as much as you and I yeah. still think it's a fine movie but at the same time it is very frustrating yeah especially after watching the, the trilogy again now it just uh, I, I don't, there's some decisions that are made and don't worry we'll talk about it later that um, oh, I'm sure you do <laughs> that just don't make any sense I think the one issue more than anything with Dark Knight Rises if I had to sum up the issues of the movie in one word, it's overly ambitious. 
Yes. It tries to do too much. It, it kind of wrote what the term I've always used is they wrote themselves into a, a corner and went, Oh no, what do we do now? Yeah. Well, um, I still think it's a fine ending. It just bit off more than a kachoo. Yeah, definitely. It tried to make it the big finale, and it's hard to do that after Dark Knight. So I understand that. Um, I know you are as much of a fan of of documentaries as I am. Um, I like documentaries. It just depends on the subject matter and who's doing it. Yes. So uh, (laughs) I know we joked about this a few months ago, and I had forgotten about it until this week. But uh, McMillions is on Hulu. It's the documentary, it's a six-episode documentary about the Monopoly McDonald's scandal, the scam that happened in uh, 2001. Okay, this sounds immediately interesting and I need to see this. Yes, it's it's fast. It's basically, like, the the selling point they'll give you in the trailer is basically from the, from, what was it? it the, the game started in 85. In 80, from 87 to th- 2001, there were zero legitimate uh, winners of all of the high-dollar prizes. Interesting, because everyone yes. got stuck with, hey, free small fry. Yeah, yeah, legitimately. Like, when you watch it, you'll there's a part of you that will go, because so, mm, I've never trusted that game, because I've always thought, it was like, you know, this could be rigged easily. And boy, was I right. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. I'm always on the hunt for a good documentary that isn't Tiger King. Yes. The the funniest part too was I had started watching it like the first ep- like two episodes, and then I, every time something happened, I was like, "The mom, dad, this blah 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 blah." To the point they were like, "All right, so tonight we were watching episode three as a fa- as a family." <laughs> like, Fantastic. Oh, <laughs> so, but yeah, man, it's a, it's a, it's been a good week of uh, watching new stuff, man. Awesome. Um, last thing before we get into our news, I finally finished the script phase of my big Nightwing video that I've got coming up, and holy crap, it is the longest script I've ever written in my life. <laughs> I can't say that I'm surprised. <laughs> but just it's mainly just because it's like every, it's the whole like actually what I'm going to be saying on the video, not just like a bullet point outline. Yes. And it like kind of like double backing of just like, okay, do all the threads connect? Is everything set up properly? That'll be paid off later, et cetera, et cetera. Me micromanaging everything. So my plan is to record that later this week and start editing it. That's also going to take a while because I'm sure it's not going to be a short video, but I'm very excited to release that. And then hopefully in the future, do more of those type of story pitch ideas. I know you want me to do a static shock one. That'll be even more homework. But yeah, it will be. But that's okay. I think I got time on my hands, and I like doing creative stuff like that. It keeps me occupied. Yeah, exactly. It's not like you've got much to do right now. Well, we got a lot of news to go over, though. You ready to go over that? Let's go, buddy. Let's hit it. We got one that was extremely late breaking in terms of it just dropped earlier uh, Monday, but I won't say it's very surprising in that we have more delays for release dates, but it's for stuff. For the next two years. So Warner Brothers has more or less slotted some things down in their DC release schedules with um, The Batman, The Flash movie, and Shazam 2 all being pushed back to varying degrees. So Batman is being moved from June 
to October 1st, 2021. The Flash is just getting moved a month from June to July 1st, 2022. And Shazam 2 is moving from, I believe, June to November 4th, 2022. Um, I'm not going to say this is very surprising ever since Marvel slotted everything down a little bit. I'm going to have the not popular opinion here. I'm. This actually makes me more excited for Batman. Okay, why is that? Because now it's coming out October 1st, which to me, in my weird train of thought, makes me go, so I can technically count this as a Halloween movie? <laughs> Get out of here. Just think about it. It Joker had this exact same October slot, and it did really, really well at the box office. We're going to have a Batman movie and a Halloween movie in the same month. Oh, boy. With Halloween ends. But also, this movie's supposed to be based off the long Halloween. This movie is going to be dark and creepy. I think it fits better in October than June. Yes, I know they want to put it in June because it's a big tentpole box office movie. But... Right now, the current box office record for opening weekend in October is $96 million with Joker. Oh, that record's not going to stand for much longer if Batman stays at this release date. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't doubt it. I think what's interesting to me is more that it's more of a confirmation that it's still on is they moved the Flash movie back. Just a month, which I think is odd. Yes, but to me, it just confirms that they're still doing it. Yes, and more than likely without Ezra. So I bet you once life resumes, they will immediately be scrambling to find a new actor. Yes, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, And so David F. Sandberg, also the director of the original Shazam, and I believe he's coming back for Shazam too. Somebody asked him, he was just like, well, are you going to need to CGI the actors to digitally de-age them? And he's just like, that's assuming we're not going to take their age into account with this story and not just have them be older. (laughs) Oh my gosh, people are stupid. (laughs) It is important to note that Shazam 2, even with this delay, will still technically be coming out before the Black Adam movie, which is now scheduled for December 2022. (laughs) Jeez. <laughs> so Shazam could still theoretically set up the Black Adam movie. Uh, which I feel like it needs to, so. Yeah, I would be okay with two Shazams first and then a Black Adam movie. Because he is, he's the big villain for Shazam, so I don't see why not. Yeah, which I actually believe The Rock when he said that they were going to actually start filming Black Adam before this whole thing hit. So I wouldn't be surprised if they start revving that production up even more once things go back to normal. Um, So yeah, it just slots everything down. It just sucks that we won't get any more news for those for a little bit until everything resumes. Because I don't know about you, I was really digging getting all those new updates with the Batman production. Yeah, I was too. It's kind of like, here's the suit. Here's the Batmobile. And it, I felt like it was only a matter of time before. It's just like, all right, here's what Alfred will look like. Here's what Cobblepot will look like. I still have my fingers crossed, and I know I'm in the minority in this. I still have my fingers crossed that we'll have Catwoman in the purple suit. I, I, I honestly, at this point, would not be surprised. Because it is long Halloween, after all. Yes, it is. And it's something different, so... But I'm looking forward to the flurry of news that'll come out once 
life resumes and we can get back to movies actually in production. Um, one important movie that did not change its release date, though, is still Suicide, The Suicide Squad by James Gunn. That is still supposed to be re- uh, meeting its August 2021 release date because that actually had finished filming and it's now just in post-production, which is something that I guess you can do at home. <laughs> Technically, yeah, you can do that at home. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there is some rumors floating around that it might actually be a rated R movie, which would not surprise me in the slightest. I mean, if you're going to, Batman is definitely the one to do that with. Yeah, but James Gunn is the one to make an R-rated movie for sure. Also true, I mean, because it's Suicide Squad, so I mean, and to be fair, I feel like that might have been like the one thing that was really missing last time. Yeah, besides, you know, the obvious reshoots and cast chemistry and blah, 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 steaks and too much Jared Leto. Multiple. I mean, here's the thing. If you're going to have Jared Jared Leto's Joker be there, make him the main villain. There's no reason to make him a side character. And even the director, David Ayer, has stated that, yeah, in hindsight, that probably is the direction he should have gone. And then probably killed off Jared Leto at the end. And then all of us could have rejoiced. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what? Birds of Prey should have started with Harley Quinn blowing up the Joker. Should have. And comedically over the top, like Deadpool style fashion, we just see his head roll or something. <laughs> I mean, but that movie's canon, so technically we can't do that. <laughs> Why not? We're never going to see Jared Leto's Joker again. Yeah, I guess. You she could blow him up we... and it would be so fast that it would, his head could travel to Mars in 30 seconds. Get and stop, okay? No. <laughs> Get a, mm, I'm I had upset to set myself up for that one. Yeah, I'm Unfortunately, upset it sounds like we're not going to have a lot of news uh, come mid-July, unfortunately, because for the first time in over 50 years, San Diego Comic-Con has been canceled. Again, yeah. I am not entirely surprised, and to be honest, it's... This is a decision they should have made a long time ago because even if things get cleared up, you can't tell me there's not a high risk of all those people, which, let's be honest, are con people might not always be the most hygienic. Um, being all together in, in a confined space with a pandemic that may or may not be gone by July, I'm more just surprised that they didn't pull the plug sooner. Absolutely. Um, which still kind of makes me think in the back of my mind, though, in the past few years, there's been less big news that's come out of Comic-Con just because studios are realizing it's just as easy to release a trailer online than spend all that money to be in Hall H. Uh, but San Diego Comic-Con has, Comic-Con has said that they will be back in 2021. Do you expect a big Comic-Con in 2021? And do you expect any news to still come out this July of maybe studios will be like, okay, there's no Comic-Con, but we could still drop some stuff in this time slot? Yeah, I I think they'll still utilize the time slot. But like the argument I've seen before, and I think this happened a few years ago when um, studios like visibly started to not do the whole Comic-Con experience. I mean, like it was – it's – 
financially not a good idea because i mean you spend all that money to rent out hall h you do all this stuff you do this great show for these people with trailers and then the trailer still leaks online so it's like you do all this work for these people and then it still gets you know the the big stuff that you wanted to to send out on your terms is no longer out there is no longer in your control so i mean i can see studios maybe backing off of the comic-con experience but we'll see yeah, I'd be very curious to see what the landscape will be in 2021 if there'll be like a big, all right, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Comic-Con. Here's some big news. Um, in terms of dropping news in July this year, I don't, it's like the, this is going to sound weird, but I'll quote Phantom Menace of all things. We, will, we won't tell them anything to report until we have something we have to report of like, <laughs> they could have July, but honestly, at this point, what news are they going to tell us? Because they themselves have also been stuck with nothing. Yeah. <laughs> we, we all know about the same stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, thankfully, there's still been slow tricklings of news that we've been getting. Um, but yeah, like in the big stuff in terms of like new trailers, which ironically enough, we actually have a trailer. But um, by and large, there hasn't been new trailers, new stills or anything. Because no one's been in production, and I don't see that resuming before July, so it's just going to be weird to not have the big Comic-Con news, but at the same time, I do not blame them in the slightest for this. Yeah, I would agree. Um, any other week, this would be our major headline news, but as it stands, there's other bigger topics uh, after this news story came out, but... Remember recently, it was announced that J.J. Abrams had signed a 200, uh, a 500, my bad, $500 million deal with Warner Brothers to produce content for them. Well, now it looks like we're getting our first payoff with that as he is now doing three different shows for HBO Max. Um, a new original drama, we don't know what that's going to be. An Overlook Hotel series based off of Stephen King's The Shining. And the Ooh. one that is but isn't the most surprising and the one that I'm sure the one that we're the most excited for is he will be developing, well, his company, Bad Robot, will be developing a Justice League Dark series, a live action series. I'm down. I'm very down with this. As long as this turns out to be like, not like the CW shows where they just kind of exist in their own universe. That it will not be at all connected to the Arrowverse, which... That's what is one of the things that I'm most excited about is Greg Berlanti is not attached to this at all. Um, I don't really have any issues with Greg Berlanti personally, uh, but I think having one specific guy who at times could be a little bit copy and paste with his stuff, mm -hmm. all the CW stuff feels very samey. Um, having one person in charge of all DC TV and more or less copy and pasting the recipe Kind of gets old after a while. So it's going to be nice to have a breath of fresh air. Because even the Green Lantern show that's going to be on HBO Max is going to be a Berlanti production. Um, but something that is completely unrelated to the CW stuff. I'm excited for it. Now, some people are mistaking this and thinking J.J. Abrams is directing it. Uh, for all we know, he could be. But I don't think he is. I think just Bad Robot is overseeing this. And also, people are dumb and it's a lot of... Let's analyze the last thing that they did. And people, a lot of people didn't like Rise of Skywalker. I personally really enjoyed it, even though it's got a lot of issues. Uh, a lot of people were just like, he did Rise of Skywalker. He's a bad director. Okay, take that out 
and you all have liked basically everything else he's done. So stop complaining because one thing didn't really work out too well. Y'all loved yeah. his Force Awakens. Y'all loved Into Darkness and the 09 Star Trek. So don't just stop hopping on the bandwagon that he's a bad filmmaker now. I've seen a lot of people do that after Rise of Skywalker. And even if you don't like Rise of Skywalker, which I understand if you don't, this guy has talent. Get off his back. Yeah, it's it is if um do doing wrestling has shown me anything, it's that people that aren't in in the industry don't really understand things. And like fans will always blow things out of proportion no matter what fan they're fandom they're part of. It's a lot of just like people attached to of I don't like this one thing that they did, so I think they're bad. Case in point, mm-hmm. I don't like The Last Jedi that much. Ryan Johnson is still a phenomenal filmmaker. I'm not going to blame him for one movie. I think he still has a lot of talent. I, You know my thoughts on Knives Out. And it's the same thing with J.J. Abrams. A lot of people don't like Rise of Skywalker. But y'all pra- sang his praise when Force Awakens came out. You thought that was yeah. great. You like the 09 franchise. You like the 09 Star Trek. We've all labeled him as the guy that's the reboot machine. So what's the issue here now? Yeah. It's so we'll, we'll see what happens, man. I mean, I would prefer, I think I, I do like him in more in a development role. Um, as much as I love his directing, just to try and see if we can get some other directors that can use the great story that Abrams wants to tell, but not necessarily his directing style. Cause sometimes he, there's some few, a few little things that he does every now and then that I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of, but that's okay. What basically copying Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Uh, I still think he would be a better fit for Superman. And again, he's got television experience with, I think he did Alias, he started Lost. So long as he's not asked to finish something, I think he's good. And that, that that's where the issues of Rise of Skywalker comes in. Um, we'll talk about the Overlook thing, because I think that's getting really overlooked <laughs> because of the Justice League Dark thing. But before we move on to that, with this whole Justice League Dark, twofold. Who would you like to see on this roster? And do you have any picks of who you would like to see in those roles? Um, Constantine, Deadman, Etrigan, um, Zantana. Um, those are the ones off the top of my head that I would really, really like. Yeah, I'm with you. Those are the my go-tos of I need Constantine, Zatanna, um, Swamp Thing, potentially. Yeah. Dead man and Edrigan. I my only issue is I think they would either do Edrigan or Swamp Thing. I don't know if their budget would let them do both. I see them using Swamp Thing as a recurring role and using Edrigan as someone's they uh, someone that Constantine summons from time to time. I can see that. Um somebody suggested and I was like, "Oh, don't don't you tempt me with a good time." Somebody's like, "I wouldn't mind seeing Dr. Fate on the show." Yes, please. Oh, Dr. Fate. And then have Clary and the Boy Wizard as the season one villain or something with Teekle, yeah, the stupid cat. There's so much you could do with this, so I, I'm, I'm really, I, I am really excited about it. Um, I will say I don't want Keanu for Constantine as much as I love the movie. No, that's not the version I want. No, I have two names for Constantine. Okay. Um, one that's gonna make you laugh, and one that I think you'll actually really like. The one that I think. 
you'll laugh at, but hear me out, is Draco Malfoy from Harry Potter. Okay, I'm actually kind of down with that. <laughs> uh, he's got TV experience. He was on The Flash for a little bit. He's already got the blonde hair and the accent. And he's actually a pretty decent actor. He's been doing it forever, and I think he's pretty underrated on a lot of people's radars. The name that I really want, though, but I think it would be a bit of a hard sell just because this would be a TV series, not a movie franchise. I would love Ryan Gosling. Oh, I'd be super down with that. As even Constantine. Like if we, even if we, he didn't do like an English accent, I'd be so down for him. Like how he so looks in, I think it's so only God Forgives. The look yes. he's got for that is very Constantine to me. The, he is, so between um, uh, Place in the Pines, Drive, and oh, there was another movie he did during that time that was very edgy. He's, I think it was Only God Forgives. I probably, but even like with with his stuff in Nice Guys and just everything that he's done since outside of his like typecasting, you know, romantic comedies, uh, rom-com stuff, he is easily becoming one of my favorite actors. And I would, that, honestly, him as Constantine, I would not be against. Yeah, who who did you have in mind for Constantine? Um, honestly, I wouldn't mind the guy that they used for the show. Yeah, I he's pretty good, but I don't see them keeping that continuity. I would I I would agree, and um, so like, but I mean, the guys you suggested are pretty good. I won't lie. Um, for Constantine, I really do. Jeez. Maybe, because it all depends on how gritty they get. Yeah, um, I I don't know. Uh, who would you want for Dead Man? I don't know. I see. That's the thing. Is my immediate thought was like Doug Jones, just because it would be a lot of makeup and prosthetics. Um, but you need a little bit of humor and sarcasm because Dead Man is like the funny guy. N- I don't know yeah. why I'm thinking of this name, but I could see Woody Harrelson. I can see that. You know, <laughs> you know what? Also, name Dead Man is near and dear to my heart because his costume with the really high collar was actually the inspiration for the original Nightwing costume. That's where Dick got the idea. <laughs> He's dead. Like Dead Man is so out there. He's such um, a weird you know concept of, hey, I was a circus performer that got shot and died. Now I'm a ghost <laughs> that's stuck in my circus costume. <laughs> uh, I'm going to throw a name out there. Uh, Bill Skarsgård. Yes. I'd be okay as, with that. As, as, as dead man. I think he, he, yeah, he's done creepy and stuff, but I think he could be, I can see him being a lot of fun. You know, I don't know. Do that or as and I might regret saying this, but Bill Hader would be hilarious as Dead Man as well. I could def. I would actually prefer Bill Hader. I could see that. I could. Yeah, he just has that goofy. I feel like that would work. Um, Zatanna. I, I only have one name, and it's the fan cast that everyone goes with. But I honestly can't see anybody else, and she's already got connections with HBO due to her time on True Detective. Alexandra Daddario. Okay, hold on. I'm I'm not familiar, so I'm you you would recognize the face. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Nope. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> the jet I, black I can't hair. see anybody else. She already just looks like Zatanna. Has that HBO connection. Great actress. Yep. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Nobody, I can't really think of anybody else. Edrigan, again, most of the time that's going to be CGI, so don't really care. Yeah. So. Although Swamp Thing, also CGI, but in a perfect world, he's completely CGI and voiced by Tony Todd. Okay. I can see that. But yes, I'm excited for Justice League Dark. I think it's not surprising because this thing has been in development limbo for a decade when they were still trying to make it a movie with Guillermo del Toro. So clearly Warner Brothers see something here. Interesting that they see feature with Justice League Dark, but they don't see with Superman. But um, enough of that dead horse. Yeah. Uh, the thing that everyone's not everyone's overlooking here is the the Overlook series. And I'm actually really on board with this because it doesn't necessarily have to tie into The Shining. It's just things that happen at the Overlook from what I understand. Which would be really interesting to see if they just kind of slip what happens to The Shining in there and then just like moves on like it's nothing. I think the idea of the Overlook series is interesting. I would be a lot more excited, though, if it was Mike Flanagan attached to it saying, hey, guys, I'm the one directing this kind of like Haunting of Hill House style, but it will eventually tie into Doctor Sleep. Which would be... I, I wouldn't that at all. Because I would like... I loved what he did with Doctor Sleep because you know I'm not a huge fan of the original Shining, but I loved Doctor Sleep. Yeah, I mean, I I need to see. I still need to watch Doctor Sleep, but it's it's it's, oh, it's on so my good. List, so it's it so good. Yeah, that's what I've heard, dude. Well, nice to see JJ is finally doing something with HBO Max, and I wouldn't be surprised if. We get other projects down the line. Hopefully that Superman project. Because, uh, yeah, th- they're going to rely on him for a lot of content going forward. Which I still yes. have a lot of questions about HBO Max. Because it's launching next month and we still know diddly squat about it. Yeah. <laughs> which is frustrating. So hopefully we get more news about that soon. Um, One that I don't expect us to talk about for super long. But it's interesting nonetheless just because... T- how many people are excited for it is we have some first official images from the upcoming Denny Villeneuve remake of the Dune franchise. And he apparently will be splitting into two parts. Um, the talent roster on this movie looks epic. And I'm not going to lie for someone that knows nothing about Dune. These pictures at least get me a little excited. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, somebody had posted a few of them. And I was, I actually got kind of excited for him. Let's see. We've got uh, Timothy Chalamet, our future Robin, um, Zendaya, Jason Momoa, Rebecca Ferguson, who I still say is one of the most underrated actresses. She is phenomenal in Dr. Sleep, the Mission Impossible movies. She's awesome. Um, you got Oscar Isaac, just looking amazing, which I've seen the Boss Logic edit of him as Deathstroke and that's, um, outfit and it looks great. Um, I'm going to be the negative Nancy here. I think this movie will be one of the best movies of the year and it will still flop. Yeah. Yeah. And so many people are just like, no, this is going to be the next epic. You do realize the general population does not know what Dune is. I, I mean, I don't know who, what Dune is. 
that's the thing is a lot of people in like that are really big into the sci-fi and film bubble are just like people know what Dune is. Dune inspired everything. You know that Dune inspired Star Wars and John Carter and everything else. To the general Joe Schmo, they don't know what Dune is other than that movie that was made a while back that completely flopped that had that one guy in it. Um, yeah. People don't know what Dune is and they're just like, oh, we got all these big name casts. We spent all this big budget and I think that's awesome. Blade Runner 2049, great movie. But again, you underestimated the mainstream appeal of Blade Runner. It is well regarded Mm -hmm. in inner film circles, but the mainstream clearly didn't care about Blade Runner as much as we, they thought because it flopped. And I think the same thing is going to happen here with Dune because unfortunately I think Denny Villeneuve is one of the best directors these working these days. Prisoners outstanding Blade Runner 2049. Awesome. Um, None of his movies are big box office hits though. Yeah, and mm. and the thing is, everyone's just like, Dune is such a big, epic sci-fi movie. It, it's not a popcorn flick, though. It is very weighty, political, heavy material of, like, a lot of, not trade negotiations, but a lot of political strife, um, house leadership. It's, it's not as simple and straightforward as Star Wars. And so people are like, that's why it's better. I'm like, you got to think of the bottom line, average Joe Schmo guy. I don't know if Dune appeals to those people. It's going to appeal to the niche audience, which is great. But if you're pouring $200 million into this movie, you got to appeal to more people than just the niche. Yeah, it's... It's tough, dude. It's tough. Don't get me wrong. This movie is going to be like this year's version of Knives Out in terms of having an absolutely loaded cast. I just don't know if people will care. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of not knowing if people will care, Universal has acquired a very interesting franchise that they would like to develop into another film adaptation with the Green Hornet. (laughs) Um, you're right over there, Universal. All right. So here's the thing: is the only reason we're laughing about this is because the Seth Rogen Green Hornet is a thing. Yes, but even even if strike that, even if that movie never happened, I would still be left scratching my head as to why Universal made this decision. I mean, it's a cool concept. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's kind of like a low scale, a low scale Batman. But yes, which fun fact, he is the great grandson of the Lone Ranger in continuity. Yep. Um, But it's one of those that like Josh and I wouldn't know it because the old Green Hornet show was on what TV land or whatever. So if you watch a lot of TV as a kid, you know that. Yeah. Kids nowadays, if you ask him who the Green Hornet is, they have no clue. Yeah. It would be like is, Universal going, hey guys, we acquired the film rights to Bonanza. We're going to make a new Bonanza movie. Yeah, it's... Mm. Not going to lie, I would see that. Yeah. <laughs> or like Gunsmoke or something. Bonan- oh, Bonanza man. Gunsmoke crossover. <laughs> with Jeff so Bridges. So here's the thing though. I think Green Hornet is an opportunity to bring some people that haven't been 
in the movie spotlight for a while to bring them to maybe a mainstream appeal. There's opportunity here, I think. Anyway, (laughs) I'm not disagreeing. I actually agree that I think Green Hornet presents a lot of possibilities. The idea of Green Hornet is interesting. I just don't know if it's the most relevant IP out there. Um, Fair enough. I... Maybe it's just me. Let's give Army Hammer another try. And he failed as Lone Ranger, but this time let's make him Green Hornet. Nope. Uh, I already have my my uh, my guy picked out. I was about to say, Green Hornet, at the end of the day, doesn't matter because the dichotomy with Green Hornet is flipped. It's not Batman and Robin. Robin's the actual powerful one in Green Hornet with Kato. Who would you cast as yeah. Kato? Because he's the important one. Um, I actually, do you know who, um, and this might be like more, this will show Josh's niche a little bit. Uh, do you know who Rick Yoon is? No. I thought you were going to say like Tony Jaw. No. See, Tony would be fun. Um, I honest, I wouldn't mind it. I just feel like he, maybe he's a little quote unquote old. Rick Yoon, um, he's in Olympus. He's the villain in Olympus is Fallen. Never saw it. Okay, look, look. Go ahead and live Google him real quick. But um, he's he's to me he's got a good look. That especially if you have the the thing for me that Seth Rogen's didn't work was because you you didn't it didn't feel like Cato was old enough necessarily to take care of the uh, of your 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 main white dude whose name is escaping my mind at the, at this particular moment it doesn't but really you, matter yeah it doesn't really matter but that's why i want i want to have some kind of fun dichotomy so we'll do rick yoon and alexander ludwig i think it for me it depends on how much acting you need them to do if they're going to be the strong silent type it opens the door a little bit more than someone that's going to have to like openly converse with the Green Hornet and have yeah. a little bit more Americanized charm and charisma. Mm-hmm. If, they're, I mean, if we're just going for the strong silent type that can kick anybody's butt, the guy from the raid. Yeah. Yeah. Him or, or I would, I honestly am, I'm kind of feeling for the Tony job, but like, then again, that's, that's, that's Josh. So, um, <laughs> the, my biggest issue that I have with, um, Green Hornet is, it, it, it unfortunately does that race thing that if you have an Asian person in their movie, they have to be good at martial arts. Yeah, that's the other issue with Green Hornet is it is very, to put it gently, of its time. Yes. So I don't know how they would update this, but I completely see where you're coming from with the whole Back in the day, with the 60s stereotype, if you're Asian, everybody was kung fu fighting and you're good at martial arts. Yeah. So as, as much as I love these guys that's martial arts, you because know, I'm a huge buff of these movies, I don't want them only getting... I mean, if that's what they want, by all means, I, I have no say in the matter. <laughs> so I just... Oh. I don't want... People idea. to be typecasted just because they're they're you know, yo you're you're Asian or you're Indonesian and you you, you must be good at uh at martial arts. Idea, go in here. What if we take the Man from Uncle approach, which is another old school TV show, but we set it in that time period that the movie origin the show originally took place. 
of have a movie that takes place in the 60s and have that super stylized coolness to it like the man from uncle did i'd be down with that actually that way we don't have to worry about well, how do they fit into a 2020 dynamic you still stick yeah. them in the 60s yeah the other dynamic that would be fun might be change the races up and make it modern i don't know how you would do that because the dichotomy is still a little weird no matter what you do there um basically the, just the fact that Cato is supposed to be a servant is it it doesn't sit that sit well with me no matter what so yeah so long as we don't get like a quentin tarantino like django situation I, yeah yeah that just that would feel really weird yeah i again i think there's a lot of potential here i just think it's odd that they're like yes we're doing a green hornet movie i'm like okay yeah More power to you i guess I mean, now. they got to do something. They have to do something with the with the an Asian culture type film. Which, granted, if Green Hornet is your Asian culture film, uh, you're out of touch. But but um, to co- combat all of Marvel's up and coming, you know, Iron Fist and uh, uh, Shang Chi. Shang Chi, yeah. So, this next news story is certainly one of the most interesting ones that we've covered in a long time. Because it's one of the biggest misdirects of a studio that I've seen in quite a long time since After Earth. And I'll tell you why. There was a new trailer that dropped. And interesting enough, because trailers really haven't been dropping. um, For the new Tom Hardy movie, Capone. In which case, it's the last year of Al Capone's life. And he's dealing with dementia. And he feels his empire crumbling around him. And he doesn't... It looks like he doesn't really know what's real and what's not. Um, I thought it was very interesting. I thought the trailer looked okay, and it made me curious mm-hmm. as to who's making it. Did you okay. happen to catch who it was, Josh? Wait, uh, no, I don't actually. I didn't even know that this movie was happening. So, I talk about that the studio hid this. So, I... I'll get back to that in a second. Uh, it reminds me a lot of After Earth because when After Earth was in production and all these trailers came out, uh, one, that movie's hot garbage, but all the trailers and marketing hid the fact that the movie was directed by M. Night Shyamalan. And for good reason, because his name was so tainted. So I'm watching this trailer going, this is interesting. Seems pretty average. Who's making this? Is it anybody I know? I... It doesn't advertise at all in this trailer. I pause it when it shows like the end credits are like the black screen and here's all the production people. At the very bottom in the tiniest font, written and directed by Josh Trank. Who? 2015's Fan Four Sticks Josh Trank. No way. This is his first feature film since Fan Four Stick. No way. And they are hiding the crap out of the fact that he's directing this movie. I think the movie looked okay. I think that it adds this whole new interesting wrinkle to the fact that, oh, this isn't just a Tom Hardy drama. This is a Tom Hardy drama directed by the problem director of Van Forstick. Interesting. And his first directing role in... Five years now. Gee, was that really five years ago? 2015's Fan Four Stick. Yep. 
Wow. Okay. Hmm. That's wild. I okay. So first of all, I I didn't mind the trailer. I do like the idea of doing a film because you know gangster movies have been done to death. So if you're going to do one on Al Capone, why not why not do something on the section of his life that no one's really done anything on? Um, and quite honestly, one of the more mysterious sections of, of his life. Um, Tom Hardy looks fine. It still look, just looks like Tommy Hart, Tom Hardy in, in, in Capone makeup, which is weird. But yeah, okay, the makeup sure. kind of looks a little weird to me. Not going to lie. Yeah. But it, it, it's just because they had to try really hard to make him not have such a chiseled jawline. And it's make him not attractive. Well, not necessarily just that, but like not make him so hardy. Is <laughs> the only thing I can think of to say it. But, um, that does add an interesting wrinkle of of all the movies trust to a problem director this one all well, right. it's also important to note this is not getting a theatrical release this is going to streaming whether it's netflix or something else i'm not sure it is a straight to streaming movie okay that's that makes more sense <laughs> but that's the one thing that's standing out to me is in an otherwise utterly forgettable movie that Josh Trank of all people is coming back to do this movie and not enough people to talk about that. Not even the studio. Cause they clearly hit it. Cause they know his reputation. And you know what? Maybe, maybe this is going to be his swan song, you know, like maybe this is his return from dealing with a lot of really tough stuff. Cause you mean, I, I under, I mean, if anybody knows Ben Affleck knows that, you know, that, that kind of stuff can alcohol can kind of ruin your lives. And well, it wasn't really that me- it was the studio interfered with this movie and she was very, very difficult to work with on set of trashing hotel rooms via his dogs, Jeez. getting in a fist fight with miles Teller on set. Um, Jeez. so yeah, uh, it actually got him fired off the Boba Fett movie that he was working on. Um, but I, just, I think and you know if what, he wants to get back the- to directing movies again, this is the right step. Small, low-budget stuff. Er, you knocked yourself down the ladder, Trank. So he's slowly... He's picked himself up. He's going to start at the bottom of the ladder again. He's got to start over. And I think that's the right way to do it. Well, and, you know, <laughs> if you've ever... If you've been a problem director in the past, uh, like, that's giving him... Making him work with Tom Hardy is the best possible... Like... <laughs> How are you going to tell Tom Hardy what to do? <laughs> like, you can't push I don't know, that they man did it around. For Venom. Yeah, well... I, he sat I, in a I, tank with lobsters. I don't mind Venom, okay? I don't mind it either, but Tom Hardy not isn't always... As much as he's one of the best actors today, he's not necessarily the top name for discernment in great projects. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I meant more as a person. You, uh, he doesn't seem like the kind of, of guy that would take some of the stuff that Josh Trank is is kind of known for. Fair enough. I it, this project just really, really interests me. Um, lost in all this is the fact that Fan Forstick is hot garbage, but Josh Trank can be a good director. I don't know if I think you've seen it. I really enjoyed Chronicle. I thought that was excellent. Yeah, I, I love that movie. So he can do a good movie. It's just a matter of can he get back on the horse again? 
We'll see. We shall see, my man. Uh, last but not least, yeah, we have a lot of news this week. Um, and I'm sure we're not going to go over this for very long because it wasn't a very long trailer, but I don't care because Psych is back. We got our first look at the new Psych movie that will be coming to, and say with me, Peacock. NBC <laughs> Universal Streaming Service. So you've got great names like Disney Plus, HBO Max, Netflix, Peacock. It's like yeah, it's, Josh. Mm. This is gonna be the most obscure reference I ever make on the show. But do you ever know the kids' show Three Two One Penguins? Yes. It's like uh, Netflix, Disney Plus, Kevin. Uh, great show Three, two, one, Peacock is the Kevin of streaming <laughs> names It's just Bad but Dude, and, Okay so unfortunately though Kevin is also like my favorite character On that show so <laughs> Fair enough um, But NBC Universal will be launching their own streaming service To add to the World, but the interesting thing is that one's going to be tiered. Of there'll be free content, like five dollar with ad content, and then like a ten dollar with no ad and everything content. So it's going to be interesting. Um, one of the things at launch will be the new Psych movie, which gets me very excited because uh, I am a diehard Psych fan. And as a diehard Psych fan, I could say that I was not overly thrilled with the last Psych movie that they did. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean that they might be trying to milk this cash cow for too long well i think it's twofold one they realized they canceled the show too early and there was still yep. a lot of gas left in the tank and two i think they understand that season the first um movie that they made may not have been up to par even though i had zachary levi in it which was great. Um, it didn't really live up to the psych legacy. Plus, they weren't able to have um, Timothy Amundsen, who plays Lassie, for almost the entire movie because the actor had just recently had a stroke. And so that's yeah. why he was relegated to basically in a video message on a phone for 30 seconds. Whereas this one, it's psych to Lassie comes home. So he's going to be actively more involved in this one. They, I think it's just that whole feeling of we've got the entire gang back together. Um, and also the fact that it didn't take place in Santa Barbara kind of hurt it because Psych is Santa Barbara. So it yeah. seems like they're going to be going back to that locale. It feels much more akin to the classic series. I'm not going to lie. I pop really hard at the end of the trailer when they go back to their original office. That just, the memories came flooding back and was just like, well, got to clear my schedule for eight seasons worth of television. Yeah. Here's the, th and here's the thing, and this is my reaction to kind of what little I did see of the first movie. I agreed that it did come across as like, oh no, we, we canceled the TV show too early and we got to make it up to the, um, you know, to the fans to me, it was proof that bringing back things because fans want them is not always a good idea. Firefly. Like, uh, yeah, then guy, I, I, that is my, always my hot take is I've seen Firefly. I don't get the hoopla. 
I don't think bringing it back is it would be a great idea either. Um, but you know, if you were able to do something great, which is possibly what they might do with the second movie here with Psych, then sure, I'm down. But uh, at some point, you have to let you have to let what what was great die. You can't just try to keep bringing it back. Look at you, Scrubs season nine. Oh, that. That doesn't exist. That's a spin-off show, and we all agreed to announce that that as the Scrub spin-off show, not a continuation of the main storyline. Because if it was a spin-off show, it actually would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it would have been a lot better had they just acknowledged it as a spin-off show. Uh, yes. But yeah, I agree with this whole psych thing of it canceled way too soon. Because I remember um, they went on winter break, like every show does, and then when they came back, they're just like, hey guys, just so you know, the next four episodes are the last ones ever. And... Mm-hmm. We had no indication that that was going to be the last season. It seemed like, oh, there's still more gas left in the tank. Like, every season of Psych is 16 episodes, except for that last season where they just cut it to 10. So it did kind of, as much as I think the Psych finale is one of the best and most underrated TV finales of all time in terms of it actually resolved every story arc perfectly and it's actually really emotionally conclusive and it closed the door perfectly, I did kind of want some more uh, just fun one-off adventures and it got me excited for the movie for sure but the movie was more just a novelty of oh it's great to see these people again I'm more excited this time around just because it seems like more of the charm and fun is back yeah I'd agree and maybe it's the locale or the fact that Lassie's back or just I don't know it doesn't feel as rushed as the last movie it feels like it's had time to breathe yeah I would agree uh, any other thoughts? Are you ready to move on to our main discussion? Let's uh, let's get going, my man. You got a sponsor for us this week? This week is sponsored by Crunchyroll, the one streaming service I didn't know I needed. <laughs> I'm actually surprised you didn't have it before. I, I might have snagged somebody's uh, login, but I've been Shocker. watching. Yeah, I know, right? Um, I've been watching a lot of Dragon Ball Super, so... I mean, I got my brother uh, going on uh, My Hero Academia now, and it's hilarious. Because every now and then, his door will be open, and I'll pop in and go, Hey, buddy, how you doing? <laughs> uh. So, this week, we are covering best and worst movie plot twist of all time. Um, I'll make the executive decision now. Let's start with the good ones, and then rant about the bad ones. I'm very, I'm very down with that. Because there's plenty of, like, really famous, iconic plot twists. I feel like we can really dig our teeth into the bad. Yes. Um, so, kick us off. What are some, what would you say are some of the all-time great movie plot twists? Um, I'm actually going to start with something that's a little bit more current. Um, Ex Machina is a fantastic film. Um, and the, kind of the ending, basically, of... You know what? I think we should actually kind of maybe put up a spoiler warning here for for these films if you haven't seen them. Um, mo- some of them, I think uh, you've had um, almost all of them. Actually, I would say you you've had your time to see them. So, you, you yeah, know, Ex Machina you, was twenty fifteen. So you've had your time. Um, basically, the film ends with the question of because of the actions of the of the and- of the android. 
did she was she testing them just as much as they were testing her as well? Yes. Was everything part of her plan all along, or did mm-hmm. she adjust her plan at some point? Yes. Because it becomes obvious she's way smarter than they, we gave her credit for. Oh, for sure. I hadn't even thought about Ex Machina, but yeah. Um, I really liked Ex Machina, primarily because that ending that I did not see coming. Yes. it was That, that was the thing for me, was about halfway through the movie... Well, you were starting to get into it was started building and I was like, wait, what are we building to? I can feel things like getting kind of intense. What, what what's happening right now? Yeah, it was out of left field of I thought our main protagonist would escape. But no, no one escapes. Yes. I, I and that's the thing I think I like about it the most is that it is a it's a good twist because yes, it comes out of left field and you couldn't see it coming, but it furthers the story and, and garners more positive questions than negative. It reinforces the central themes of the movie. Yes. Um, I've got an iconic one that is actually tied to both of us. Oh, it is the first movie that I ever saw with you. The first time I ever watched this movie was in the dorm room with you and Luke Hyatt. Yeah. Freshman year. And I'm actually surprised I hadn't seen it sooner. But of course, I'm talking about Fight Club. Bro. I that was I remember playing Ultimate Frisbee when I first became friends with Luke. And that's the most college the, sentence ever. It is. It is. Cause then after that hacky sack, maybe. Yes. <laughs> he was like, Wait, you've never seen Fight Club? And I was like, Yeah, I've never seen Fight Club. And he's like, Well, Pat no one knew that up. is actually surprising. It, it was, but honestly, up until college, I hadn't seen a lot of films. You, believe it or not, you between you and Luke, you were my gateway to seeing so many films that I had never even considered seeing. What can I say except you're welcome? <laughs> I hate you. But no, I Fight Club was on my list as well. And the, the way that Tyler is masterfully hidden uh, for us to think. I mean, granted, there are clues all the way all, all throughout the film, but the, the, you, you can't put them together until you've seen the whole film. And I think that's the key for me of the difference between a good twist and a bad twist is were the seeds properly planted throughout the movie? Yes. Because uh, there's definitely some twists for sure um, that could have been good, but were not properly set up, so they become frustrating twists. Fight Club is not that, because if you rewatch it, it is pretty evident what's happening with Tyler and, oh, is it, what's the name of Edward Norton's character? No clue. Don't care. <laughs> yeah, Tyler Durden is much more interesting anyway. But here's the thing, is at the same time, like, I think everyone gives uh, Brad Pitt a lot of props for Fight Club. But to me, Edward Norton is acting his butt off. Holy crap. The scene where he he beats himself he beats himself up floors me every time. I just figure that's a typical evening with Edward Norton. <laughs> Fair enough. And that's why Marvel <laughs> let him go. Oh, gee. Yeah, uh, uh, besides other other reasons. Yeah. Um, what else you got? Um, I actually have seven on here for twists I liked. I got five more. So I've no, got about the same. No, I mean, 
I mean, the movie seven. Oh, the movie seven. I thought about the <laughs> seven, but that works too. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, We're all right, should... people. We just really need to see outside. Yes, please. Oh, my goodness. That got me. That hit me. All right, cool. Um, <laughs> first, if you're a horror fan and you haven't seen Seven, what are you waiting on? Um, this movie's been out forever. It's one of Brad Pitt's best films, in my opinion. Um, we're talking Kevin Spacey before he was a weird freak. Um, <laughs> Which I have a Kevin Spacey movie that I'll talk about next. Um, yes. But also... This movie was able to bless us, even though we don't physically see it on screen. This movie was able to bless us with something as that I, as an MCU fan, have wanted for a while. Pepper Potts's head in a box. Mm-hmm. Because God, I hate Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, I do too. But I especially hate her in this movie. <laughs> um, she's not a likable character. But I, I, the story not a likable person. No, she's not. Looking at you. Um, but the idea that even you as the audience are trying to figure out who rage is and who, 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 you know, who all these people are, are going to be. And then it turns out it's our main character out of nowhere. And it's just, it's, it's a very, very well told story and very well executed film. Yeah, I would agree. Um, on the flip side, Kevin Spacey's in Seven. He's also in The Usual Suspects. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like in up, like upper tier all-time great plot twist because all you have to say is Kaiser Sose and anybody that knows the film world will immediately know what you're talking about to the point that it's kind of its own term of like, I Kaiser Sose'd you or it's this movie's Kaiser Sose. Of usual suspects, yeah. the whole thing is who is this mythical Kaiser Sose that's behind everything? I actually haven't seen Usual Suspects. Really? Well, I won't Maybe. spoil who Kaiser Sose is, but it is the movie, it's who you least expect. Yep. And it's the definition of, I believe, when I think of unreliable narrator, I think of either Joker, which doesn't do it as effectively, I don't think, or The Usual Suspects, which does do it effectively. Yeah. I'm just glad that you, I, I thought you were going for American Beauty and I was going to have a riot. I don't like American Beauty that much. Oh, I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, what else you got? Um, I actually have American Psycho on here. Okay. Okay. Because at the end, um, by the time the film is complete, you, the audience, do have very like legitimate questions of, wait, so what's real and what's not? Did that actually happen? What It, it is that, that I'm going to say unreliable narrator, but not necessarily. It's more of, it's almost like voices. Uh, did, did you ever see uh, Voices with Ryan Reynolds? No. Okay. First of all, look it up because it's great because he plays a serial killer. Um, but like he's still like likable and lovable in like the worst possible ways. Um, and like his dog and cat talk. Great. Uh, but 
this idea that you only see the world through the character's eyes and then you're suddenly at the same time as the character brought to the sudden conclusion that maybe everything you've been shown is either a not real or b maybe not maybe didn't happen exactly how you thought it happened hmm yeah have you have you ever seen american psycho i have yeah Okay. I had like legitimate questions at the end of like, wait, what's real and what's not? And not like in a stupid Shyamalan movie. Which I'll talk about Shyamalan later. Um, I have, yeah, he's, yeah. I always just assume American Psycho may or may not be a documentary about Christian Bale's life, but. Um, I wouldn't doubt it. No. Just <laughs> dub over the Huey Lewis scene with his outburst from Terminator. Yeah. Stop. No. And the person he kills isn't Jared Leto, but it's the sound guy. No. <laughs> so, again, you set me up perfectly with a transition of you bring up American Psycho, I bring up classic age-old 1960s Psycho. Nice. So it's common knowledge now that Norman Bates is a psychopath and evil. In 1960, no one knew that. They didn't know yeah. uh, what multiple personality disorder was. They didn't know normal human beings could be messed up too. And the reveal that Mrs. Bates has been dead for a long time and did not in fact kill Janet Lee in the shower, but it was her messed up baby boy Norman... That's a big old twist that when I first saw it, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And see, the, the issue, I it would be higher on this list, but I had it ruined for me before I saw it. So it I was... I wonder, even if, even if um, you know that he's the killer, it's still shocking the fact that Janet Lee dies so quickly in the movie because we spend that so is, much time yes. with her and it sets that her is, up as the main character only for her to die in the shower about halfway through. Yes, I and will say that that did throw character. me. Yeah, that threw me hard. Because I didn't know how quickly she died. So when she dies, I was just like, well, what do we do now? Yeah, absolutely. Ironically... The guy that she's dating um, that goes to hunt down Norman Bates later, do you know what that character's name is? I do not. Samuel Loomis. Get out of here. John Carpenter, in his Halloween movie, entirely ripped the name as an homage from Psycho to play his doctor character. Get out of here. So there's a whole bunch of fan theories that after the events of Psycho, uh, Samuel Loomis went to school to become a psychiatrist. That's crazy. Because the timelines still technically line up. That, that blows my mind a little too much, and I'm not really okay with it. <laughs> You're welcome. Plot twist in and of itself within this episode. Jeez. So, um, I'll do the first of two groupings in this, um, that we'll talk about today. I've got two different franchises that are on both my best and my worst list, ironically. Okay. 
Okay. Um, first of all, for best though, I'll go with the original Planet of the Apes. Okay. You damn dirty I, apes. I, I I was never a fan of it. So <laughs> I don't I'm not the biggest fan of the originals, but I acknowledge its place in film history and acknowledge Fair yeah, enough. that's a big twist of yeah, this is this is Earth. You're not on some other planet. That's okay. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, which this will not be the last time, unfortunately, that we talk about the Apes movies. Yeah, I, uh, I have a feeling. And unfortunately, I have another franchise that exists on both my best and my worst list. But I'll talk about the best here with Empire Strikes Back. Okay. The be-all, end-all of plot twist of, uh, no, I am your father. To which I would pay good money to go back in time just to be in the audience hearing that reaction for the first time. Yeah, and like everybody is like, now, it's like, well, how could you not see it coming? His name is literally Vader, which is German for dad, blah, blah, blah. And it well, was one, like, the internet was- didn't exist, and two, you spoke yeah. German in 1980? Yes, exactly. That was like, yeah, guys, just, just you know, stop being pretentious. But like, like German itself, we'll later talk about the Star Wars franchise with nine nine nine. Hey, <laughs> um, how do you feel about the? Oh, what? okay. <laughs> How do you feel about The Illusionist? I literally just watched it for the first time last week And I'm not gonna lie It's been a while since I've been more disappointed in a movie Really? I had it hyped up for me for so long Because it came out around the same time yeah. as The Prestige And people were just like Oh, it's so good It's different than The Prestige But it's they're about the same in terms of quality Oh god, no The Prestige's leaps and bounds are better than The Illusionist And oh my god, I saw that twist coming a mile away Really? Okay Oh my All god, right. yes All Any right, form well. of magician movie I immediately distrust everything about it As you'll see in my worst plot twist later I do not like The Illusionist That's fair. I think the performances are good um, and The funny thing is Take out anything to do with magic, and the movie's a lot better for me. Okay. Because I like the whole, there's this, like, evil, uh, soon-to-be ruler with a really fragile ego, and this guy's upsetting the proper balance. But, yeah, I saw that ending coming a mile away, and I don't know. I was really disappointed with The Illusionist, because I was... Thinking that it would be I didn't think it would be similar to The Prestige But I thought it would be to the same quality And yeah, No Which honorable mention to The Prestige For this Because Prestige yeah. has like three plot twists It does And that's why I have it on here Is because you oh, can't Yeah especially with the, the The twins twist That to me is the one that you That they do lay hints For no, they literally the, the, say in the movie a couple times, he's got a double. Yeah, exactly. But, but like, you are Hugh Jackman's character going, no, that's too easy. That's not how he does it. Yeah, exactly. That's too easy. Um, to the point of when Hugh Jackman does his his disappearing trick, I, and it's revealed how he does it, 
I was like, oh, you had to go over the top with it, didn't you? Okay. Well, the last 30 minutes are just plot twist over plot twist, but not like Shyamalan trying to outdo himself. It's plot twists that still make sense with the twins and then what Hugh Jackman has to do to make sure the trick goes right every single night to the final Christian Bale plot twist. Mm-hmm. Man, now I want to go back and watch The Prestige. It's very good. I, so I good. At the time, when I was young, I watched Prestige and, and Illusionist back-to-back. And then and I in that forum, I enjoyed The Illusionist more. Now, I went back and rewatched them now, and I definitely prefer The Prestige. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know what it is with the illusionist. I just did not dig it. And maybe it was that I could see the plot twist coming because, I don't yeah. know, they set it up too much. They give, that's a, that's a tough balance with plot twists is you have to give just enough kernels that people will believe it when the twist happens so it doesn't completely come out of nowhere but not too many that you show your hand too soon. And I think the illusionist absolutely did that and they showed too much too soon that's fair and here's the thing too though is sometimes the best plot twists are questions that you didn't realize that you forgot to ask like in saw is if which is on my list is that guy in the center really dead i am not even mad because saw's reputation later on ultimately became all right how do we up the reveal from the last movie, which is ultimately mm-hmm. coming back to hurt it. Um, but that original one, I'll agree with you of, had I not known what the twist was, it would have been a really good twist. Cause now it's yes. like one that I'll talk about later that everyone knows it to the point that it's not even a plot twist anymore. It's just common knowledge. But if you watch saw completely blind, that's a great reveal because we just, assume he's dead. Yeah. They're, they're, they're at no point does the audience or even the characters ask the question, maybe he's dead or is he actually dead? Because they just, it, like us, oh, there's blood around the body. He's obviously dead. Which I think it was how it should have ended that they're just like, you know what? Let's check to see if he's dead. And they throw something at his head and he goes, ow, hey, he's not dead. Let us out of here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's i mean granted yes it does pr- you know have some issues with the fact that he's not dead yeah 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 whatever he didn't score uh, anything yeah like how, how there's so many things that could have gone wrong but it was but then again that is the tune that saw movies sing <laughs> yeah dun 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 I'm not going to lie. Even though Saw movies got progressively worse and worse, I still get amped when I hear that music of just like, okay, how are you going to try and outdo yourself this time? Yes. It's like, it's like someone creating a train wreck and you're sitting there to, you're ready to watch, see how they do it this time. See that (laughs) cell phone in your hand. I was the guy that sold you that phone. So I've been monitoring your calls for the past three years, waiting for you to sin. I mean, that wouldn't be out of the question. <laughs> or just like, I was a jigsaw um, apprentice. Are, are you sure? He's got like four secret apprentices. <laughs> I'm the only one. <laughs> so 
Do you do you have any more on your best? I've got one more that's like Saw of it's not even a plot twist anymore because everyone knows I see dead people. Yeah. Mm. You don't like this twist, do you? Nope. See, this is the only one on my list, though, that I think it's a great twist, but knowing it hurts the movie. I'll give you that because I I went into the movie knowing the twist and knowing the twist, you can see it coming a mile away. He does set up for it later on. Yes, which I still don't think Sixth Sense is that bad. It actually has one of the best and most underrated jump scares I ever, I think in any movie with uh, Haley Joel Osment in the uh, tent and he looks over and that girl's like drooling or whatever. Yes. Oh God, that made me jump so high. But knowing the end, which is just as common knowledge as um, Luke, I am your father at this point, it does really hurt the film knowing that he's not alive anymore. It's, Unfortunately, the issue with a lot of Shyamalan movies is he's got this reputation of doing a twist. So knowing that there's a twist puts you on edge and you look for the twist. It kind of hurts. That's why filmmakers will do like a twist every once in a while. Um, Yeah. They won't do it every single movie because if you do, people come to expect it. And if you're expecting something, you either one have to deliver each and every single time or people will be looking for it so they'll kind of be more wary of it and can pick it up quicker. I mean, honor, but like honorable mentions to The Visit because for whatever reason, most of us forgot that about Shyamalan when, when, the, when he releases The Visit. Nope. I said from that first trailer, those aren't her grandparents. Really? Okay. <laughs> no, I called that one a mile away. Okay, fair enough. Did that take away from like, the oh, film? Though? You've never seen your grandparents. Then you won't know what they look like. So those aren't yeah. your real grandparents. So did did that take away from the film for you? No, not at all. Okay. Okay. Because I was still invested in those characters. Fair enough. Okay. The so, rest of the movie is still entertaining enough for me. Um, so I have a feeling And Split doesn't have a twist ending, except for No. Split doesn't really have one. It's just like, hey, we're connected to Unbreakable, but that's not a plot twist to me. That's a post-credit scene reveal. It doesn't yeah. alter the movie as a whole. Like a plot I think twist it, normally it, does. Yeah, if it had a twist, it would be more of like, oh, the beast is actually real. Like that's actually a thing that is that can happen. But no, even no, that, the twist like, for Split okay. would be Anya Taylor Joy is actually the beast. Oh, geez. That would be terrifying. I'm down, I'm here for it. But terrifying. It's called The Witch. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so my last one, I already know is going to be controversial. Oh, God. And I think you and I already don't see eye to eye on this movie. Oh, no. Don't say it. <laughs> so have you ever seen Remember Me? <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> this is like the top of my list of worst. I know. When you said, How did you know? 
I when teased you, that I had a Robert Pattinson movie. I know, and I knew exactly which one you were, which one it was going to be. I hate this twist so much. <laughs> so here's the but thing. I will go into that later. That's our perfect segue for worst. After yes. you finish, why you think it's a good twist? I like the twist. I liked it more upon rewatch because. So, it, it becomes, to me, it becomes less a story about, oh, this come. I mean, it is that coming of age. It is. And, like, to be fair, I oh, really hold on, like hold the- up. Before you explain why you think it's a good one, this movie is so forgettable, ironic with the name, <laughs> like, Remember Me, that, Josh, yes. I really think you actually need to explain to the people listening what the plot twist is before we explain why it, why you think it works. Because I think okay. it's really important to keep in the broader context because I think a lot of people don't know what this is. So this is the Robert Pattinson film that turns out that it, the ending happens on 9-11 and he ends up dying, right? And he, he's in the tower when it gets hit. So the reason I like this is that it, it, to me, and granted in the context in which I saw the movie, it was with a girlfriend at a time and she fell asleep and I was stuck watching the movie by myself. Um, I liked it because to me, it took a, a bland, regular movie that didn't really have much substance. Although I did like the performances in it, it was very forgettable and very just, it's a thing that happened, turned into me, the twist makes it, oh, that's, this is just how big of an impact 9-11 was. It wasn't like people that were just you know, traitors and stuff like that. People like it, it, to me, it was upon rewatch. This was just the kind of people that were involved in this kind of tragedy. So that'll segue (laughs) us perfectly into our worst plot twists, which is exactly why I saved it for last. (laughs) Because remember me is one of the worst and most frustrating plot twists. Okay. No one remembers this movie except for the terrible ending. Why? Why did this have to be set with him going into the building for 9-11? It's purposely emotionally manipulative of they're just like, yeah, our our story and narrative really isn't that strong, but we want audiences to walk away sad and in tears. Oh, yeah, uh, it's been nine years. Let's do 9-11. Why not? No, that's... I don't say this very often about movies. That's incredibly offensive. You emotionally manipulate your audience. Oh, my God, no. That would be like, you take your stereotypical rom-com, let's say... Pitch perfect. And then in the last five minutes, you find out, oh, sorry, the love interest is actually, he's going to Pearl Harbor and it's set in 1941. (laughs) The movie makes no, they don't establish at all when this movie takes place for the sole reason of shocking you with the 9-11 thing at the end. Uh, The only time a movie has successfully hit its time period and done it well is the final, final destination movie when they reveal plot twist. It's a prequel to the very first final destination movie. So everything comes full circle. Honorable mention for that plot twist. That was actually a really good one. Um, it works. That, that works. Here, 
purposely withholding that information. It's just blatant shock value. It's get people riled. It's it's basically the movie equivalent of trolling. They're getting the people riled up just for the sake of getting people riled up. It's the only thing people remember about this movie. It's manipulative. It's disrespectful to the people that were in the towers to just go, maybe if it had been set up at all in the rest of the movie. But no, it was, well, how do we end this movie? They literally didn't know how to end it, so they brought the Twin Towers down. Yeah. There's nothing more lazy and offensive in filmmaking. I have yet to see it. That's just awful. Who thought this was okay? And yes, Robert Pattinson is our boy now. But no, that's just awful. It would be like, again, if Dear John happened with whatever his face with Channing Tatum and Amanda Seyfried, and the movie ends with him just getting gunned down in a street fight in New York before he can even get to Iraq. It's just wrong on so many levels. It's not okay. It's lazy. It's cheap. It's shock for the sake of shock. And I can't believe someone thought that was okay, even nine years removed from the situation. Oh, man. I mean, yeah, when you put it like that. (laughs) It's not just that it was... Okay, you could have killed off Robert Pattinson's character and then no one would remember this movie at all. But the fact that you killed him in 9-11 of all things. Okay, fair enough. So would you would you be more okay with it if... So yes, let's say he dies at the end, but make it like a car crash or something. Yeah. Something that is sudden. Yes, that's a lot better okay. than 9-11 because it trivializes a real world event. Fair enough, okay. Like. Pearl Harbor, I know a lot of veterans have issues with Pearl Harbor because it's like, that that's not actually how things went down. But it was supposed to be a grandiose, like, of Americana, Michael Bay, America, America. This was not meant for that. It was just shock value for the sake of shock value of, oh, we went there. It yeah. Was, it was just really in bad taste. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Josh, you pick one while I cool down. <laughs> so let's talk about. Um, so we talked about American Psycho, in that you know, oh God, American some, Psycho two. No, 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 no. Just, just track with me here. In that the twist at the end is, oh man, what was real? Is he crazy or is he not? That sometimes that can come back, and honestly as an audience, can make you go, why do I care? Like in Shutter Island. <laughs> Thank you. I hate Shutter Island, and I know I'm in the minority because everyone loves Leo and loves Scorsese, and I think normally they're good. I hate Shutter Island so much. Here's the thing. Honestly, there's a lot of the film I really do enjoy, but the, that last 10, 15 minutes, just, I, I don't, it ruins the rest of the movie for me. I have a movie on my list that's like that, too, of I love 90% of it, and then the wheels fall off so fast. Yeah, it just, 
it, it, it doesn't do anything for me. It, this is it, the issue that I've always struggled with is that it's a good movie, but the ending ruined it for me because when, when you, as an audience, you are presented with that question of like, is he crazy? Is he not the way that some of the characters act towards that issue makes you, the audience member go, well, why do I care if it doesn't matter? Because in, in American psycho, like if he is crazy, He's going to kill more people. And it, it, but if he's not, what was all that stuff we just saw? Yeah. And that's, also, not, that's uh, not an issue in Shutter. Also, I had an issue with the marketing campaign for Shutter Island. They really marketed it as a edge-of-your-seat um, horror th- mystery. And it's really neither for me. Yeah, it's really not. It wasn't scary or a mystery. It's a thriller at best. So... You talked about a movie that you really liked up until the ending. Um, I've got one that's so incredibly frustrating to me because I didn't just like. I loved 90% of this movie and then the big plot twist happens and I about rage quit the entire movie and I have not gone back and watched it since because it pissed me off so much. Now you see me. Oh, okay. I was wondering if you were going to talk about it. Normally the person that I hate, Jesse Eisenberg, but he's okay in it. Uh, Woody Harrelson... Isla Fisher, uh, Dave Franco. So it's basically these four magicians in New York, the best of all time, robbing banks and giving to the poor. And there's an FBI agent that's hunting them down. Spoiler alert, Mark Ruffalo's FBI agent, who's been hunting them down the whole movie, is actually the one that hired them all, and he's actually a special magician that wants to work with them and figure out if they're as good as they say. Um... It completely sweeps the legs out of the rest of the movie going, so wait, the cop that's trying to track them down and arrest them is actually a good guy and the one that hired them. Yeah, it it becomes one of those like, well, then why does it matter that you were chasing them? The problem is so frustrating because up until that point, it was doing really, really well. I like the characters. The production design was really slick. Some of the, um, I don't know, it w- had a very fun and engaging vibe. And then when that happened, it was like a magic trick if you wanted to know how it was done. And then at the end, they kind of allude to the fact that maybe magic is real, which I'm like, wait. That goes against everything this movie has been saying of here's how a trick is actually done in the work and preparation that goes into pulling off a magic trick. It's the same as robbing a bank. Now you're telling me that magic might actually exist? No, that completely... It's like they had a director and a writer for 90% of it. Then they took a break or they fired those directors and were like, okay, we need to change the ending because it feels like it's completely written by somebody else. There's like a revenge plot that comes in out of nowhere. Uh, It just falls off the rails. And it's so frustrating because I loved it up until that point. Yeah, it's... Again, this is the conversation we're having about the balance of a good twist. Um, Movies like Signs and Village... Where I was wondering just, if you're going to get to a Shyamalan, dude. I I had three Shyamalan movies on my tw- on my worst twist list. Wow! And one of them one of them was Sixth Sense, which we already talked about. But The Village, you can see coming, and it's a, you don't care about it when it happens. 
And he's honorable like, oh, mention no. to The Last Airbender, there's no plot twist in that. It's just bad. <laughs> the, the plot twist is that you paid for it. Um, and then signs, it's like, oh, we can defeat the aliens with water. Okay, Yay. quick side tangent. For research for this episode, I was looking into like videos and articles that was like worst plot twist of all time. And in the same vein, someone has had signs, but then some moron tried to say the quote-unquote plot twist from War of the Worlds when it, we find out that the aliens' uh, biggest weakness is bacteria. And I'm going, mm-hmm. put, it's going to make me sound really pretentious but and have the like push up the glasses thing of like, that's not a plot twist. That's actually what happens in the original HGL story. So it's not actually a plot twist or a change in story. So don't blame Spielberg for this. Blame Wells. Yes. Weird side tangent over. At the same time, it's water. Like, bacteria is something that, like, you can make an argument that there's no reasonable way that an alien would know that, oh, we can't survive in this environment. Whereas, like, water, like, if you know that's your your weakness, why would you come to a planet that's literally 75% water? What happens if it rains? Or if there's morning dew? Are they quarantined too? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't work for me. It takes a movie that is otherwise okay. It's it, it makes it kind of like, oh, okay, now we're stupid. Now we've gone full stupid. See, that's stupid. But compound that to me, the moment that's really stupid is the whole. Your mom's last words to you were "swing away, Mel," and that later in the movie just means hit the alien in the head with the baseball bat. So. You're Get telling me here. that your dying mother knew that someday aliens would come to our planet, be weakened by water, and the way to stop them is a good old Louisville slugger to the dome piece. Seriously? <laughs> Grant, I, would, I would like to think that a good Louisville slugger to the dome piece is a good solve to any problem, <laughs> but still. Yeah, just ask the bear Jew in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, boy. So... I have, I want to get one off my chest and then I have two that are like, I like the movie regardless, but the twist terrible. I have one movie that I like, but I, I almost walked out of the twist and then another one that is not. (laughs) Yes. So it's time to discuss rises. (laughs) <laughs> I know, I know we're, we have our disagreements, but I, some parts of it, I'm going to agree with you on. Why? Dark Knight Rises, to clarify. Why? Why build up Bane the entire movie, all to, all, only to make him look like a chump and be like, Talia was behind it the whole time. Ah, and then more you. or less force Talia down our throats going, Bruce actually loved Talia. He has spent five minutes on screen with her. Yes, like Honestly, and I know I, I try to be like I try not to be aggressive to movies, but screw you, dude. Like also Tali with the worst cinematic death ever. Oh, just like you're gonna take this character in Bane. I think I was more mad of what that twist did to Bane as a character than than the actual twist itself. Because up until that point, they were actually pretty spot on with the whole Bane escaping from a prison thing that he was raised in. Um beat up by inmates after he killed someone that tried to assault someone he knew. That's all accurate to Bane. Um, And while he wasn't perfectly accurate to the comics, maybe someday we will, 
I was getting used to the version that Christopher Nolan was telling us. He was a good, threatening, menacing villain, and then you friend-zoned him so hard. You friend-zoned him, and then you made it sound like as soon as those little things on his face are unscrewed just a little bit, he's dead. He's a goner. Like, how that's that's the, literally the, the equivalent of, of uh, Achilles. Of being yeah, like, he's that's not pain. Total- it just, it gives him withdrawals basically exactly so it just it made him feel like a chump it really made me mad outside of the other issues that i have with prices <laughs> yeah i was about to say there's a lot of other plot twists i i think and i also think the the plot twist that bruce is alive at the end that that almost makes me just as mad i was actually talking to heather uh a few minutes before we started recording of i love the dark knight trilogy as movies as a Batman fan rewatching them now, they kind of frustrate me because even almost from the get-go with Batman Begins, it's, okay, how long do I have to do this before I can be happy and retire? Exactly. It's like, I have to do this, but how long do I have to force myself to do this? And it's like, really, dude? Like, yeah. you're, Can you're I be happy with to- Rachel? Um, and then she dies and he's just like, well, she's dead. Can I retire now? I'm like, yeah, no. It's, it's, like, even uh, in... Any other Batman, when he retires in Batman Beyond, it's because he physically cannot do it anymore, so he moves into the mentor role. He never gives up protection of Gotham and just is like, hey, I could be happy. Why not? Also, doubling back to the Talia thing, and maybe it's just because I've watched every trailer religiously way too much because my anticipation for Rises was through the roof. I saw Marion Cotillard as Talia al Ghul coming, no joke, Seven months before the movie came out. Oh, yeah. It's not. Because one, the young actress, Joey Fisher, couldn't keep her mouth shut. Um, But two, of course it was her. We're not going to just introduce some random woman that's not going to be attached to any other character. She looks like she could be Talia al Ghul. That set photo kind of looks like she's dressed like Talia al Ghul. Uh, Everyone keeps asking her if she's Talia al Ghul in... in, um, interviews and whatnot, and she keeps denying it. They're strongly denying it, so much so that it basically confirms to me that they're that she's Talia. It was not a secret worth keeping. No. And honestly, it, if they had made it more of a thing early on... Just name her Talia been... from the get-go, but don't say Talia al Ghul. Just say Talia. Yeah, like... Come on, like it's fine to keep that part hidden. We all know, but make it a surprise to Bruce. Yeah, like when he's surprised, I was more—I just felt more vindicated than anything else because I've been telling people forever that it was Talia. So I was just like, "Yay!" Like when Benedict Cumberbatch said he was Khan and Into Darkness, I rejoiced yes. in the theater because I was like, "Okay, I have—I have a list of people that I can rub this in their face now because they told me that's not going to happen." And I got to gloat for a while because that was another worst kept secret. Um, so you have Dark Knight Rises makes you rage because of the plot twist in that. Another perfect segue. I have a rise, but not Batman. I have rise of Skywalker, unfortunately. Yeah, it, I was wondering when that was going to come up because it is, and by no fault of its own, a very rust reveal that we, we saw a mile away. 
Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the last Jedi's reveal of you're nobody. I never bought that for a second, but the way that it raised lineage was done in Rise of Skywalker has to be one of the worst reveals. And this is coming from someone that likes Rise of Skywalker. I have never been so close to walking out of a theater as I was when that reveal was made of, you know who you are? You're a Palpatine. I'm going, um, say what? There was like a top five list of people that I thought she could be related to and that was not in one of them. I know some people were thinking that, but that seemed like a bit of a stretch to me and it felt like a bit of a stretch in the movie. And it it fixed some issues I had with her character of, hey, I never have any struggles and I know how to do everything. And I always seem very, very angry and aggressive. Well, that's because you're actually a Sith. But uh, it, it really did not work for me. And I still don't particularly like the character of Rey. And that really did not help her case at all. It, I, I think I would have been more okay with it if she was like, oh, well, that makes sense. And then just goes full evil. I would have been really okay with that. Just Which to turn- I think was the plan, but Ryan Johnson threw a wrench in that. Exactly. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm blame as much. I do. There's a large parts of, of the last Jedi that I really enjoy, but it yeah, is, last Jedi is good, but it's a part of a greater trilogy. It's very, it ruins a lot. It does. It almost intentionally writes the series into a corner. Although people that are like bash on Rise of Skywalker, and I know there's quite a bit, and they're, they like Last Jedi more, which is totally fine. But they never want to seem to acknowledge that Rise of Skywalker was kind of put in a tough situation by Last Jedi. They're always just like, Last Jedi is great. Well, where could you go after Last Jedi? And then they always just go, uh, there's ways. Like, yeah, no, Last Jedi kind of ended things a little too definitively. It really did. And it, it, it really put, that's why I think I didn't mind rise as much as a lot of other people did. It was because like, I understood that last Jedi wrote them in a, into a corner and they had to figure out how to end the trilogy when it felt like last Jedi already ended it. Yeah. I think had the whole trilogy been done by JJ Abrams, a lot less people would be complaining right now. I would agree. So I got two more. How many more you got? I got two more and they're both like, I enjoy the films as a whole, but it's the twist themselves that I really don't like. One movie I really don't like and one is okay, but the twist to this day still gives me aneurysms. So yeah, I'll save that one for last. (laughs) All right. So one of mine, and I think you'll agree with it. The film itself is amazing. Coco is incredibly animated. The story is fun and intriguing. The characters are, are like bring you into the story, bring you into the world. But the twist you see a mile coming, coming a mile away. I would agree um, with the twist part. Um, ever since Toy Story 3, Disney has been obsessed with this secret villain reveal whether it's Frozen, yeah. Toy Story 3, or Coco, Up. Um, also, here's where I get raked over the coals. I think Fro- I think Coco is one of the most overrated Pixar movies in recent memory. Okay. I, can I give think you, I'll, I'll it give you looks two. great visually, but I think it's way too busy and too side questy. I'll give that to you. I, There's I a think lot I of, we need to do this so we can do this, so that can happen and this can happen. 
That's fair. I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll give you that. But yes, I would agree. It is way too obvious of who the real villain is and what that villain is hiding. And I'm sick of these fake villains. Incredibles 2, also fake villain that's revealed later that you could see a mile away. Her name is literally Evil Endeavors, and she's not going to be evil? Yeah, it's mm, that's that's a little rough either right there, buddy. Um, so I got one that I don't think it'll be on your list, but this actor, unfortunately, has been in several movies with really bad twists. Um, while the happening is not one that I'll talk about today, Marky Mark Wahlberg has been in some god awful movies, uh, but the one that sticks with me the most of having a terrible plot twist. Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. I mean, if you want to acknowledge that it happened, yeah. <laughs> For the sake of this, we have to. So the original <laughs> Planet of the Apes is, shocker, this planet is now run by apes and it's Earth. So Mark Wahlberg escapes the planet of apes that he's landed on and he gets an escape pod and crash lands back to what he believes is Earth and trying to outdo the original, I guess, in terms of shock value, he goes to the Lincoln Memorial, which is now Abraham Lincoln as a monkey, and the world is run by monkeys and always has been. Even Tim Burton himself has gone on record saying, I didn't know where I was going to go with this plot twist. I just did it for shock value. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Wow. Of just like... I, uh... It's one that genuinely makes no sense. And I'm glad they didn't make another one because they backed themselves into a corner so much. And thank goodness we got the Matt Reeves Apes movies instead because that is a phenomenal trilogy and makes a lot more sense than this. It really does. And I, I like that they uh, they don't, they hint at the original. They never try to redo the original. Yeah, it's early enough in the timeline that it is but isn't tied to it mm -hmm. so what's Absolutely. your last one i enjoyed detective pikachu for the most part okay good we don't have the same one yeah i i enjoyed it for the i i mean I, genuinely it's for the most part a fun film and as someone who grew up with pokemon it was kind of fun to see pokemon i will like, say while i didn't love it that first 10 minutes where you see the pokemon interacting with the regular world even as a person that didn't grow up with pokemon that was exactly what it should have been the rest of the movie. Exactly. The, but the twist that his dad is is stuck in Pikachu, you see that, among the way... His, his dad is Pikachu. Is, Let's phrase it that way. Yes. He, his voice is on the voicemail. Like, you, you gave it away, like, right away, bro. Like, what are you doing? Also, um, I never... It did surprise me but not for the reasons that they wanted it to surprise me. It surprised me more. I'm just going, Ryan Reynolds is probably what? Mid to late thirties, early forties. <laughs> There's yeah. no way he's justice Smith's dad. There's just no way. Doesn't check out. That's why I was more surprised. Cause I was just like, he can't be his dad. It, 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 the timelines on that don't really line up. How do I know this? Because Ryan Reynolds has kids and they're not Justice Smith's age. 
Y- yeah. <laughs> also, I saw the plot twist coming a mile away with Mewtwo and Bill Nye because, um, yeah. spoiler alert movie people that make movies, if you cast Bill Nye, we immediately assume that he's playing the villain. Yes. We've seen Pirates of the Caribbean. We've seen Resident Evil. This guy is typecast as a villain more often than Sean Bean. So don't try and fool us that he's a good guy. We know he's the bad guy. Just be upfront about it. Yeah. And like it, it became obvious what was it, as someone who is, grew up with Pokemon, it was obvious where they were going with the story. So it was like, really? <sighs> All right. Let's get to this last one. Yeah. What you got? I'm curious. All I need to say is three words and you'll know exactly where I'm going with this and why I'm about to give myself a massive headache. Okay. Iron Man 3. (laughs) Screw you, Trevor Slattery. (laughs) I don't even care about Iron Man comics, but the bait and switch of the Mandarin and Iron Man 3 still crawls up in my noggin and dropped a pain bomb to this day. Now, okay. So, for those that somehow are blessed to not know what the plot twist is, um, leading up to the release of Iron Man 3, it had this genius, genius marketing campaign of um, Iron Man will face off against his most deadly foe, the Mandarin who in the comics is more or less like Iron Man's version of the Joker. It's like his big bad. That's who he always has to square off against. So people were excited. Uh, I'm not a big Iron Man fan, but the trailers were really getting me hyped for Ben Kingsley as the Mandarin, who in comics is a bit of a racist character and doesn't really hold up nowadays. But it seemed like they adapted the character well. Um, And here's the thing. Going into the movie, I had watched a Jeremy Johns review of Iron Man 3. He's just like, I liked it for the most part, but there's a plot twist that happens about halfway through that people are either going to really love or really hate. So I went into it knowing that. There's something that happens about like 10 minutes before that happened that I was like, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal breaker. That was not what he was talking about. Um, So this big bad threat that the trailers have been advertising, they've been marketing... Um, And even Ben Kingsley, up until that point, has been absolutely crushing it as this great, powerful villain, the Mandarin, to come out of a toilet to announce, hey, I just dropped a log in the toilet. Don't go in there anytime soon. My name's Trevor, and I poop big poops, and I'm not an actual villain. Yep. Oh. My. God. Oh, it's still, and I remember getting in a big old argument with my dad when we got out of the theater. He's like, I like the plot twist, but I agree with you that it could have been better had Aldrich Killian, the actual villain who has the balls to say, I am the Mandarin later on, which is, you're not, um, had Aldrich Killian been a better villain because... I like Guy Pierce as an actor. He was so utterly forgettable as Aldrich Killian. All anybody remembers about Iron Man 3 nowadays is the god-awful Mandarin twist because you ruined the incredible acting talents of Ben Kingsley as a great villain and a really good update of the character. The only silver lining, literally the only silver lining, is later Marvel realized how much they screwed the pooch and 
They had a one-shot attached to, I think, Thor the Dark World. So at least something good came out of Thor the Dark World. Um, True. In which case, it shows Trevor Slattery in prison telling people all about, oh, yeah, when I was the Mandarin, it was the best performance of my life, and it got me a lot of recognition. So he gets a lot of street cred in prison, and then a henchman for the real Mandarin, who's still out there somewhere, kills him. And I'm like, oh, good. That's what he deserved for lying to us. Um, now, now to go after Shane Black, who hasn't done a good movie since, because I saw yep. The Predator, and he hasn't made a good movie since. No, he hasn't. Um, that plot twist is, so far, the MCU has really um, laid the proper groundwork and done right by the fans and really have... They know what direction they were heading, and there's very few missteps, except for Thor the Dark World and Iron Man 2. I genuinely think they miscalculated on this one, and they're like, oh yeah, we we purposely did that so that we could later use him down the road for Shang-Chi. It, no, you can you can tweak your plans later, but this is one of the few ones that you, you have to bite the bullet on this one and say, yeah, we were wrong about... So they actively have like tried to retcon this of, that wasn't a real Mandarin. It, you know you screwed the pooch on this one, Marvel. You you need to admit it, because even as a non-Iron Man fan, that was a really dumb move that you wasted. In a time that people were complaining about the MCU having really bad villains, you actually had one with the Mandarin, and then you just dropped a royal deuce on it and ruined it. Dropped it, and now it's broken. Yeah. I think in I think it wouldn't have like upset me so much if I wasn't behind Ben Kingsley's performance so much. Like, holy crap, that man can play a, a villain. He was so good. That's the thing that's so frustrating. And here's the weird reference of the week. It wasn't even the first time I saw Ben Kingsley as a villain to know that he could be good. I remember growing up watching him in a very obscure movie called The Thunderbirds. And he was a great villain in that. Um, so No, like, wait, wait. You mean like the, um, holy crap, that's that's a blast from the past. You're welcome. Oh my goodness, I loved that movie as a kid. That was Ben Kingsley. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I was excited to see him as a villain, and then they completely squandered it. And then they'll be like, oh yeah, it was all part of a larger plan. Uh, no, you're backtracking. And you wonder why, in a world where the MCU reuses directors a lot, the Russos have been attached to m- multiple films, John Favreau directed multiple films, um, Taika Waititi's directed multiple films, why the director of Iron Man 3 has only directed one movie in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so needless to say... Twists can make and or break a film because, I mean, up until a certain point, I really did. I was a, I was on a certain level enjoying Iron Man three after the debacle of Iron Man two. Yeah, it's definitely better than Iron Man two, but I won't say it's a good movie either. Yeah, absolutely. But that it's an okay movie that's really, really has a lead weight wrapped around its neck because of that plot twist. Yep. 
Well, what do you guys think? What are some of the best and the worst movie plot twists of all times? We always like hearing from you guys. Let us know in the comments below. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, or YouTube. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.